This is the Prayer Culture Podcast, where we talk about building prayer into the lives of Bible-centric churches and individuals. I'm your host, Michael Green. I have a background in missions to the Islamic world, as well as being the founding member of Puramore, a ministry that is dedicated to developing a deep culture of prayer within local churches and communities. My co-host, Patrick Rowe, is a board member of Puramore, as well as being a longtime church planner in the greater Houston area and Thailand. This is the Prayer Culture Podcast. As a reminder, the Prayer Culture Podcast is a ministry of two or more, which is a crowdfunded ministry. So if you enjoy this content, please check out our website and giving page listed in the description. Also, when you have a second, hit the like and subscribe button. Awesome. Well, this is the first video podcast full video you can see our lovely faces talking <laughs> sorry uh in yes, advance. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> now we've ruined it <laughs> uh, right <laughs> uh but today we're gonna be entering a subject um that's a, really just kind of a linguistic point of view, you know, mm-hmm. in the church especially in worship and prayer mm-hmm. like how we talk about our love for Jesus. So many in Christians employ seemingly romantic terminology, right? Like falling in love with Jesus or Jesus is beautiful, right? Mm. To describe their relationship with him. Or, you know, I've heard other things like Jesus is my boyfriend or uh, <laughs> let's let's just not. Let me leave that one out. Okay. <laughs> but the point is very romanticized language okay, yeah. to express the relationship. Um, even, you know, going further than just being in love with Jesus, but like being madly in love with Jesus being, you know, that kind of mentality. Right. So critics of this terminology really suggest that it implies like an infatuation, uh, you know, a lack of, a lack of knowledge base with it. It's more just kind of a crazed love thing and can even possibly lead to cultish mindsets like sexual feelings. Okay. And so that's kind of where the critics are like, we don't really want to employ that language too right. much, you know, because if that's true, yeah, we don't. Want right. To- <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So really the question we're answering today, is this type of terminology biblical or uh-huh. is it grotesque or unsafe right. you know, to use? Right. Right. Um, so I'm just going to open us up cause I have a whole yeah, you you go with it. I have a thing here. Okay. <laughs> so really first you need to understand what the vast majority of people who employ this language what they mean. Yeah, what do they mean? What do they actually mean when they're saying it? Mm-hmm. Cuz too often we employ our own definitions on things and we need to like try right. to view this is what they're trying to say. Right. And we're doing that with the Bible all the time. Yeah. What well, what did the person who wrote it mean when they wrote it? You know, it's not just importing your own ideas into the language. So, yeah. That's important. What did they mean? I've never, that's a really good point. I've actually I not know. thought about it that way, but that's actually true. <laughs> <laughs> so I know many people who employ this type of language, you know, mm. and, um, and, and are deeply entrenched in like, this is how we do worship and how we, you know, engage with the Lord. And I don't know any of them that would affirm a sexual relationship with God, right. anything even <laughs> right. close to that. Right, right. That's right. Way, way off base from 
your friend group from the people you run with. Yeah. And I've asked them like, and they're there. I know people from streams, like from Bethel and IHOP and all stuff, all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah. All, all, the, all the ones and you would none ask. of them affirm <laughs> a, that kind of right. grotesque mindset at all. It's like, right. no, 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 not that. That's, right. that is wrong. Right. right. Um, I love by the way that you asked straightforward, now, is this a grotesque sexual thing in your relationship? <laughs> That's not exactly how I asked it, okay. but like, you know, formatting the question, like, yeah, hey, yeah, how I do imagine. you guys, um, you know, deal with this possibility or whatever? Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. um, is it possible for someone to go there? Sure it is, but right. only if they're getting off the whole of scripture and le- not and veering off of a solid group, a solid community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in other words, if there's a problem, there's a bigger problem than their language. Yeah. It's their view of God, their relationship to God. In which they're going to get off any number of directions. Like yeah. It doesn't matter. They're going to be off. <laughs> yeah. If they're off in this way, it's probably not the only way. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So next, I want to just, before I read the passages on it, I want to talk about the context of language in biblical cultures. Okay. Okay. It's really important here. Biblical cultures have a very passionate style of language. Mm. It's not like Western culture. Um, you know, you have some engagement in Rome in the New Testament where you might get some Western flavor, but pretty much all of the Bible is set in a culture that uses extremely passionate language, right. passionate anger, passionate love, passionate everything. Right. Right. And, so when you say biblical cultures, you don't mean cultures that are trying to be biblical. You mean the culture, the cultures in the Bible, in the Bible, ancient yeah. near Eastern. Gotcha. Ancient near Eastern cultures. Right. Okay. So, and I experienced this in Africa when I lived in Africa, I culturally felt like I was almost in Bible times with a mm-hmm. lot of the way they engaged culturally with each other mm-hmm. and the way they employ language tons of passion, you know, like for instance, you know, when we would debate Muslims, have dialogue with them, you know, in the West, it's like, Hey, most logical argument wins, try to be courteous, you know, whatever they in debates will employ passion. It's all about passion, about like driving the crowd, like, yeah, passion. (laughs) So when you have that mindset, okay, this is how these biblical cultures are interacting. It's not like the Western mindset about it. Uh, So the word beautiful or affection or being in love with, when that's kind of invoked. Desire for the Lord. Yeah. In Western culture, we conflate that with sexual thinking, right? Um, But they don't in those cultures Mm -hmm. uh, because they use impassioned language for almost everything. Mm -hmm. So when you have those two things kind of lined out, let's dig into scripture. Okay. Um. So between God and his people first, Mm -hmm. all over the Old Testament, the language of marriage and of love relationship, right? So I'll just bring up one verse, Isaiah 62, four, you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her Mm. and your land married for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. Mm. Uses the terminology of her, of right. marriage, of love, right? Right, and then you know the book of Hosea is just—it's <laughs> all about God's impassioned jealousy and anger because his bride is right. going after other suitors, right. right? Right. So it's all over the Old Testament about Israel. So then, in the New Testament, 
Paul lays it out in Ephesians, right? Yeah. So Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. I kind of have to read this whole segment, but yeah, we'll do it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word. Okay, cleansing his bride, right? Mm -hmm. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. So he nourishes and cherishes his bride. Right. That's love, man. That's yeah, that's yeah. love. Mm-hmm. So then it says, it quotes the Old Testament about the first marriage, right? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a romantic <laughs> love relationship. Yeah. That's the context. Yeah. Yeah, I've described and the the amazing thing about that that passage is he gets to the end of it and it's like classic oh husbands and wives premarital counseling wedding verses that kind of <laughs> stuff and at the end Paul goes I'm saying this is about Christ and the church. Ooh. You know, it's like <laughs> that's cause to your point yeah. that is that's romantic language, love language, you know, um so that's the context, that's the picture that Paul was comfortable giving, the spirit was comfortable inspiring. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's fair. Yeah, absolutely. So here's where I think your mind's going to get blown a little bit. This is where my okay. mind got blown. Cause I, I had the husband, you know, wife terminology. God, the father. Okay. Okay. <laughs> shares a you. love song You're with so the ready. son. Okay. This is real. Okay. Okay. In scripture. And he calls him beautiful and fair. Okay. Sure. So here we go. (laughs) Fair, like fair, like beautiful, not fair, like good game. Not, not good game or not like very white skinned, like (laughs) smooth skinned. Um, So in Hebrews one, eight through nine, it quotes a Psalm. Okay. It quotes Psalm 45. And what it says about that Psalm, it says, but to the son, he says, Mm -hmm. that's the father says to the son. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here's what Psalm 45 says. And it says from the father, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. Mm -hmm. God's heart, the father's heart is overflowing over the son. Right. Right. You are fairer than the sons of men. Mm. Or some translations say you are more beautiful than the sons of men. Right. Right. Okay, so, you know, and then he goes on, the, the passage in Hebrew says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness, a scepter of your kingdom, your love righteousness, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Mm-hmm. So Hebrews quotes this. So it's, it's covering a, a plethora of things about the son. But God is employing this romantic language. God, the father is towards the son. Yeah. Or or at a minimum, he's, he's describing Jesus as beautiful in his eyes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is not a statement of beauty in his physical body on earth. It isn't, I don't think because Isaiah 53, right? Yeah. He didn't have some distinctive, it wasn't like the description of Saul, right? King Saul. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So really, it's a statement of deeply passionate relationship that exists in the Trinity. His affection. Yeah. Yeah. And then Jesus, Jesus culminates this for us. So now we employ this language, John 15, 9, right? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Mm. That's that love. Yeah. And so, I mean, my conclusion there is this is why we employ this language. And I'm perfectly okay with employing the language. I am just so in love with Jesus. I, mm. I'm insanely in love with him. I, you know, I, I think that that's good. And you can say those things and it not have any sexual context at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, the scriptures you're reading, of course, there's no, no one would have some problem with God saying what God has said. Nobody's going to say, well, he shouldn't have said that. You know, (laughs) he he was being weird. You know, nobody's going to say that, but how are we going to hear it? You know, how are we going to hear what God is saying and interpret it and those things? That's the problem. And I do feel, I agree with you. I think most of it's just cultural. I think we, as a culture, we are so hypersexualized and we're so nervous about being creepy, you know, and crossing boundaries and stepping on toes and offending and all that stuff. Like, as you said, the, the farther east you go, well, you can go, I li- so you lived in Africa where this is very normal. I lived in Thailand where nobody, <laughs> would, no, you wouldn't even talk like that to your wife, you know? It's really? Like, okay. Yeah. They're just not as comfortable with bearing their emotions and things like that. Uh, and, and to up to a certain point and then they will, you know, but, um, but no, I think you're right. I think, I think for the most part in our culture, we're just so sensitive about being weird in terms of sexual things and sexuality and how do we talk about it? And are you, I don't know how I'm allowed to talk to you and this kind of thing. So you end up with, I, I think the biggest problem that if anybody inside the church, the, the, the problem that they have with language that can sound really affectionate, even romantic, you know, like to say, I'm in love with Jesus. For us to say, I love Jesus with all my heart, everybody goes, amen, brother. But if you go, I'm in love with Jesus, you can run into particularly a lot of guys who are like, oh, <laughs> that's true. What do you mean? That's very, you that's know? kind of uncomfortable for guys. What do you yeah. mean? And like, it reminds me of, I, so I've got three boys and, um, <clears throat> years ago when they were younger, they had action figures and <laughs> it's kind of, it's funny to think about, but they called them their men. The action figures were their men. So they, oh, I'm going to go play with men. I want to play with the men, this kind of thing. You know, we didn't know when we knew what they meant, you know, <laughs> but then they had this other friend. It was like a new friend, a, a kid who was coming to the church and they were hanging out with them for the day because I was working with their dad on some stuff. And then they was like, oh, you should come to our house and hang out. Do you like men? And, he, <laughs> <laughs> and the, kid, the kid was like, yeah. Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean, these are like, these are like eight-year-olds. You yeah. Know? And even that eight-year-old boy was like, well, hang on. What, what do you mean by that? You know, let me make sure I'm so... So we're just, as a culture, we're so sensitive about that, that even parts of the Bible make us uncomfortable, you know? Right. And anytime the Bible's making you uncomfortable, it's not because there's a problem with the Bible. It's like, you have to diagnose, the problem is in me. What is my, why am I so uncomfortable with language like this if God isn't? 
And, and I don't know, I even think about John at the last supper, John is leaning into Jesus's chest and, and that is affection. Like there's no way, other way to look at it. That's just affection. And John is always calling him the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was something so affectionate about their relationship. And we as a culture, we have so much issue. We just have so much dysfunction. We just don't know how to handle like two men being affectionate towards each other, loving each other. I, I, I remember being in Armenia, and which is uh, in the same part of the world that the Bible was written. And in Armenia, I mean, I remember a moment where I was sitting in a car and I looked down the street and two guys are crossing the street and they see each other and they're like, hey, like, you know, like you would do. Hey, what's up? And they cross the street. But when they get to each other, they embrace, they kiss each other on the cheek and then they walked off holding hands. They were just friends. Yeah. They were literally just friends. In Ethiopia. I, I hold hands with guys in Africa all the time, by the way. I was going to say. walk down the street. <laughs> yeah, in Ethiopia, I was in a church service where the guys were all sitting with their like legs draped across each other and arms around each other. <laughs> and they're worshiping. <laughs> there was no weirdness. It was actually, right. it was beautiful. It was yeah. beautiful. They were so free. They could just love each other. And there wasn't all this awkwardness of like, am I allowed to love you this much? Or am I allowed to feel this much affection towards you or express it? Like that, I think it's so much of it is just cultural that we're just weird about this. Yeah. Because the Bible doesn't have a problem with very affectionate, loving, even romantic language. Now, I, I would say in response, okay, like if, if there was going to be a pushback, uh, the cultural thing would be, <clears throat> okay, so if dudes are uncomfortable with it, then you're making it hard for them to like relate to the Lord or to relate to your testimony or something like okay. that, because culturally we're weird about that kind of language. So, so like first Corinthians defer to one another, try, you know, help yeah, them maybe, maybe somebody could say something like that, but I don't know. To me, that just feels like you're kind of like lowering the bar. It's like, we're going to be less affectionate than God. We want to be like God, you know? So, but that would be a thing. Like if you, if you, if somebody was saying, Hey, in your preaching, you keep saying you're in love with Jesus, and I keep noticing the guys squirming in the room. You know, like all the women are like, oh, that is so sweet. I feel the same. <laughs> I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but a lot of times men and women are different on this issue. Yeah. Where the women feel like their hearts just gushing, and the men in the room are just like, what does he mean? You know? Uh, so I, someone could say that, and I'd be like, I understand what you're saying, but I still... I don't, I disagree. I guess I'm just a weird dude. I've never had an issue with you're that. You're a very doodly dude. dude. <laughs> you are. There's like no one, you're a doodly dude. But see, that's the problem is in our culture, dudes, men are supposed to be like these unemotional, just work bots, you know, and yeah. we just accomplish and whatever. And it's like the idea of being soft hearted about being affectionate, emotional is viewed as being feminine in our culture for, and I think these things are starting to get pressed and, and yeah. losing their power, you know, what I'm thankful for. But I do think there's something like that ingrained in our culture. So there, there's that issue, which I disagree with, but I understand why it's there. Yeah. Biblically, I think people might say, okay, so the Bible speaks kind of in analogies in this way. 
uh, like Song of Solomon, you know, who like Spurgeon, you know, that was like his favorite book of the Bible. He taught tons of sermons on it, deep study, and he totally viewed it as being about Christ and the church yeah, and all those things. So <clears throat> there's, there's something where you could say somebody maybe could try to make an argument. This is all analogy. You know, it's just analogy. It's just representing something, but it's not like our actual kind of relation, personal relationship with Jesus, something like that. Or they may say, well, this is about Christ and the church, but not about like you and Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, not like on the personal level. Right, like it's less about like my personal love relationship with Jesus and more like Jesus and his bride, like capital B or capital C church. And maybe somebody could say, but, oh, the Bible doesn't speak in those in that romantic way of like our personal relationship with Jesus. Like somebody could say, I've never read Paul say, I'm in love with Jesus, or you should be in love with Jesus. So, okay, it's a bit of an argument from silence. You know, if the Bible doesn't say something, then we can't say it or believe it or something. But what would you say if somebody was like, Paul never said he was in love with Jesus, or Peter never said that, or John never said, well, I mean, how, how do you feel about that as like a theological argument? I mean, John does clearly. John use, employs as a, a lot of romantic language um, about abiding in Christ's love and being intimate with Jesus. Um, with Paul... I think the way, way Paul usually implies it or it brings it into focus is, well, I mean, he wrote Ephesians. We talked about right. that mm -hmm. where he's saying this is the mystery. And he does, he mostly approaches things less, a little bit more analytically than, you know, like John Wood or something. He's like, okay, hey, let's lay out the law. Let's lay out the clear teachings. Mm. Let me correct the issues here. And let me tell you the good way and the right way. Um, but mostly it's about, his language employs being enamored with Christ. Like, and that's, that's, I think the same thing when you're talking about the beauty of Christ, it's like beauty implies, I want to look at this thing. Mm. So that's the, that's how I would equate it is when Paul says, um, well, I'm trying to recall a verse right now, but basically, uh, he talks about running the race, running hard after Christ. Okay, I yeah. consider all other things rubbish compared to knowing Christ, right. um, using extreme, once again, passionate, extreme language yeah. to imply my obsession is Jesus. Right. That's the beauty of Christ is the obsession of Jesus. The focus on Jesus, everything right. is going toward, I pretend to know nothing but Christ and him crucified obsession with the gospel. Mm-hmm. That that's beauty. That's beauty of Christ. I believe. Yeah, yeah. And, and Paul even was it the Thessalonians? He said, "I'm affectionately desirous of you." That kind of language is like greet each other with holy kisses, Paul. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So again, we're interpreting things. Yeah. Things that in it, what did Paul mean when he said that? It wasn't like, "Hey, I'm interested in what you're doing on Friday. Would you like to hang out? I'd like to get to know you. You know, like, <laughs> do you come here often, you know, to Philippi? Like, that's not, that. obviously, that's not what Paul's getting at, you know? No one would even say that. No one would think, well, I guess there's some progressives maybe who might get at that. But for the most part, the church is in agreement about what Paul meant when he said those things. We're just uncomfortable with the language. We just are uncomfortable talking that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I will say... You can go to the point where 
you're employing it so much that you're not employing some other things you need to like, like in worship leading, you need a balance of songs. You need songs that are that way. And then you need songs that are focused on the glory of the King of Kings. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, bowing at his feet, you know, Mm -hmm. less of the hug relationship and more of the, okay, but we feed, we have a healthy fear of the Lord. Yeah, the reverence. So you do need to employ balance in, in your approach and not just do one type of song or the other, or one type of prayer or the other. Right. Um, and everybody tends to lean a little bit more into one or the other, just because that's how we're built. We're yeah. not perfectly balanced. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I will totally concede that. I'll ask you. I'm going to throw out some worship lyrics and oh. see what you think here. So oh, this is fun. here we're going to go on worship lyrics. Your love has ravished my heart. <laughs> Where did you, what song is that? Um, you know, the song, it's, Take me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. I want okay. to know your heart. That song. Okay. It it has. It starts with your love has ravished my heart. Okay. Your love is so. So you're interested in how I feel about the line. Do you think that language is healthy to employ, or maybe it would be better not to employ that type of language? Uh, okay. Here's what I really think. If you want to know, I, if you want to know what I really. We're here to know what you really think, Patrick. <laughs> not what you fake think. Uh, yeah. Not what I fake think. <laughs> not what I podcast think. <laughs> Uh, what I really think is the longer you live in this world with Christ, the more you, you really cling to language like that. Like that language means more and more to you. The more you suffer, the more you're clinging to Christ for your life, for your purpose, to just why why am I even here? Why does any of this matter? How am I going to survive? What about my kids? What about my spouse? What about my church? All these things, and you're just clinging to Jesus, and you're needing Him to love you and embrace you and and affirm you and call you His own. The more the the longer you walk with Jesus in this world, in a way that you're like actually walking with Him. Yeah. You know, you're not just like kind of go to church and watch the football game and take a nap, but like you're walking with Jesus and you need him to be your all in all. When I hear your love ravishes my heart, I'm like, Ooh, I feel that. Right. I, I have needed that. And I feel that Jesus is that for me. So ravish being envelop you, Hold on to you because the old English meaning of ravish is, sure, is rape, and so that's the thing. (laughs) Is I've been in church context where like we're not going to do this because this is, yeah. So it's what does that word actually mean? Because some people translate it very differently, right? So, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that that's why language is hard, you know, because yeah. it means one thing to one person and another thing to another. I mean, I hope that that song's never been sung in a place where people only spoke old English, you know? <laughs> like, if you had a time machine and went back 500 or 700 years and sang that song, they'd be like, scandal, you know? <laughs> Uh, but in a modern day church, you know, we, that, that word means what it means to us. Yeah. It, it's like an overwhelming, overtaking, you know, insurmountable, sure. can, irresistible, you know, you have no power against it. Uh, and that's the way I feel about the way Jesus loves us. So okay. I, I'm good with it. I can also understand, you know, have 
people being like, well, what does that mean? You know? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's fine. Look it up. You know? Yeah. So another one. Okay. Let's try another one. Um, there's a song about Jesus return, you know, like here he comes riding on the clouds, you know, yeah. it's very much about his return. Great song. But then it says, um, uh, you will come to marry me. Mm. Uh, so that's more of an individualistic context. What right. do you think about that one? Come to marry me. Yeah, I guess that's that's the point where you're going, okay, that's not that's not like capital C church. That's like me personally. Uh like Jesus is coming to marry me. I I mean I, I guess I'm fine with it. I I'm, I'm not like bothered by it. Uh that one I I would probably have that pause in my mind where it's like I I think what the song is meaning is Jesus is coming back for us and therefore coming back for me. And yeah. I'm going to be at the wedding feast along with us all, you know? So maybe, you know, again, to the pushback, you know, what, how could someone push back on that? Maybe there's an individualism there that doesn't ring really biblical. Like there's most of the Bible and, and again, ancient Near Eastern culture, very communal. Uh, there was very little individualism. Whatever's true for us is my truth. Yeah. You know, uh, inescapable realities that are just, that's true for us as a people. And if we are guilty of something, I'm guilty of it. Um, so there's not as much individualism in the Bible, but at the same time, you could say, well, Jesus is coming back for us. Therefore he's coming back for you. Whatever's true for all of us is true for you. So you could kind of turn that on its head, but I, I, at the same time, I, maybe I do feel a bit of pause about, sure. about being so individualistic about something that the Bible talks about us. And then I take those, that imagery and I make it me personally, but it's not like it's untrue. Exactly. It's just maybe said in a way that is less familiar to the Bible. Yeah. Not, not biblically wrong necessarily, just not exactly the way the Bible talks. It's what are people meaning? Yeah. And this is really where the teaching of the community and the interpretation of scripture and, and how the spirit's working kind of influences like, you know, especially like the interpretation of scripture, like mm -hmm. what are they actually trying to get at here? Is it, yeah a scriptural thing or not, right. but so, so totally I mean, agree. If, if I can, I feel like this is a big, this is a big issue. And I know this is the reason why you're bringing the issue up because we're talking about prayer culture, you know, like having in the church of Jesus, a culture that is filled with heart and desire and love for Jesus, affection for Jesus. We're coming to Jesus as often as we come together, we're pouring out our hearts to him and making our requests known to him. And we have this culture of coming to God um, and with confidence in what Jesus has done for us, entering into that most holy place and approaching the throne of grace with confidence, all those things. We want our, this, this to be true of our churches. So this is language that is familiar to the Bible, in the way we relate to God and the way God relates to us and speaks about his people, it, it is so affectionate and filled with desire that it sometimes spills into romantic language that God is okay with. Yeah. 
And so are we okay with matching that level of affection and intensity in the way we love and the way we talk and express the way we feel and all those things? And, and sometimes personality is what's causing the conflict. It's not a difference of theology. It's just like that dude or that lady is so comfortable with expressing so much affection. Their heart just seems so full and they're just, you know, they're just exploding with all this desire and everything. And then you have a guy over here who may feel all the same things, but he's like, Lord, we need you. Yeah. You know, (laughs) the expression is different. That's true. Oh, sovereign God, please come have your way. You know, and then (laughs) (laughs) you may look at him and think like, oh, dry. no filled with all the same desires, you know, just not as expressive. So I don't know. I I think it's important because we're just, we want to learn how to relate to God in the way that is familiar, commanded, Mm -hmm. uh, good to the Bible, good to God, good to the spirit. Sure. But I would, would you say for guys, especially like be willing to be expressive if the spirit is like, Hey, like, it's time to get more expressive now. Yeah, like, well, but this is be a, willing. Yeah, but this is a bigger issue than just like dudes talking affectionately. Like, yeah, yeah. This is about us living in submission to the work of the Spirit and in submission to one another. Yeah. So when we come together or when I worship, I'm not thinking about what's comfortable for me. I'm thinking about what God deserves and what you need. And if you need to know some affection... If you need to hear some affirmation, if you need an embrace, I'm, I have to give it to you. Mm. It, and, and if God is, if, like if the Father, like Psalm 45, the Father speaks about Jesus with such affection. Look at his beauty. Look at how he's, he's more beautiful than all the people in the world. If we're not willing to elevate our language, our affections, our desires to that same kind of level, then we're just falling short. Sure. If we're trying to like keep it, whoa, calm down, you know, calm yeah. down, don't go overboard. I, I, that, that's a big problem for me, I think, in the church is we're so concerned about being wrong or overstepping that yeah. we end up falling short. Sure. Sure. Well, I got two more. Okay. You are fairer than the sons of men. Well, that's biblical. There you go. That's straight from the Bible. Yeah. I mean, so. no problem there. <laughs> And then another one, and I'd say this one's a big one, but uh, it says something about leaning on him, like leaning mm-hmm. back on Jesus. Oh, in yeah. The, I think it's a Brandon Lake song or something like that. Like, I don't know, but I, maybe it's a different song I'm thinking of, but I, I know that, a, well, this would probably have been six or seven years ago, so maybe we're not thinking of the same song. It's about leaning back on Jesus is the terminology he uses. Okay, yeah. Like, right. And it, the whole thing is about intimacy with Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I love it. I, there was probably a time in my life where I was kind of like, that's weird. <laughs> you know, I don't know, <laughs> but not anymore. And now, I mean, I, that's all I want. Yeah. I, and that's what I mean about like the longer you walk with Jesus, the more your affection for him just grows. And I mean, okay, quick story. I, I was living in Thailand <clears throat> And I don't know, a combination of just maybe a bit of isolation and some, I'm sure, spiritual attack. I mean, we're living in a city filled with idols and, and everything. So uh, 
I, I started getting to a very discouraged place and spiritually pretty dark. I just felt like I was so far from God. And, and it was my fault. You know, there wasn't a problem with God. It was just with me. But it actually reached the point where it was like, I don't, you seem so far away. I don't even know if you're there anymore. And I, I would have these moments, and they would scare me, you know, because in my heart of hearts, like I believe, but my feelings, my perspective became so darkened uh, and so skewed by discouragement about myself that it was hard for me to perceive his presence, you know, his love for me. Those things were, became like foreign feelings for me. I felt like he was just so disappointed. And, you know, fast forward probably about a year or so of just trying to battle and all that and learning how to battle, like seeking counsel and, and even getting having to be corrected about the ways, some ways I viewed God or myself. I, re- I had a moment on the couch in my living room. It was the first time in like more than a year, probably two years at that point, that all of a sudden I was aware of the presence of Jesus with me and that he was pleased to be with me. He was glad that I was coming to him and that he was drawing near to me just as I was to him, that, that he took pleasure in it. And I had a moment was like out loud for the first time in so long. It was like, oh, Jesus, you're here. And my heart was just swelling, like even now, just to think of it, like he's, mm. he's my Jesus. He's my greatest friend, my dearest brother, my, my God, my Savior, but he's... But when, when you live through such discouragement and you've, you've tasted darkness and then Jesus comes near and he lights up your soul, how can you not be filled with such affection? How can you not want to just lean into his chest and just stay there, you know? How can you not want to be merry just soaking his tears, soaking his feet with your tears? Yeah. Because of your your love for him, your desire for him, mm-hmm. not just the busyness of serve things, serve him, do things for him. But you just want to be near, just hear him, mm-hmm. just see his face. And that's why I say I think that the more we just continue drawing near and walking with Jesus, the more this kind of language becomes like, oh, that's what's in my soul. Yeah, that's less and less uncomfortable, and it's more like that's. That's what I'm living for is that kind of affection shared between me and, and Jesus. Yeah. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. Yeah. That's the father's heart. For you. That's what that is right there. That's in you. Yeah. Right. Right. That's the father's heart. <sighs> so good. So in terms of, it's like, maybe I'm in a church where there's not so much of this language, but I want to engage with the Lord in this way. Um, ways you can do that. I'll just share kind of the way that I've done it because I don't want to come in and say, everybody has to do everything my way now. <laughs> right. Everybody, everybody has to conform to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the way that I've done it is I'll go into a context and I'll just display my love for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'll be very expressive. So, you know, I want to do a context where, you know, Worship is largely stand and sit, and and there's not a a lot of, like, expression outside of that specifically. Maybe some raised hands, you know, but just kind of limited. And I went in that context and said, you know what? I said to the Lord, like, hey, I want to just love you with everything 
and be passionate, not to be seen, but just, I want to do this, but I'm okay with it being an example to people mm. if they want to do this, right. maybe it'll encourage them. Right. And so, you know, I'm raising, you know how I can be, I'm raising my hands, I'm walking, I'm, uh, on my knees, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, even just like, I think it was after the first or second week, you know, somebody, you know, from the church came up an, an older gentleman who's just a blessed, wonderful person. And mm. he said, um, Michael, I love that. I'm really inspired by how you worship. I want to worship more like that. Mm, praise God. You know, so the whole thing was not me coming in and trying to oppose it, but just expressing it, not being afraid to express it. Yeah. Just like, hey, I'm going to express it. Yeah. I'm going to be real and raw with Jesus. And people can see that and maybe it will encourage some people to... Yeah to grow and to, to express it more too, if they want to, you know, if they're really right. feeling that. Right. So, yeah, I, I like that. I, and uh, <laughs> it feels like the tribalism, you know, and exclusivity and kind of like, Oh, you, you are more like this. So you find a bunch of people who are like you and you guys run together. Uh, and, and if we all are doing that, well, which we all are, you know. Yeah, we all do that to some degree. Yeah, yeah, to some degree and to a large degree. Uh, yeah. The church, especially in the West, does that a lot. We just look for things to divide over, you know. It's sad, but it's really true. And and if you're just, if that's, these are your customs and your traditions and the way you go about things, the way you worship, the way you teach, the way you engage in a church service, you know, all these things. If it's all one way and then somebody you never ever have that experience of seeing someone you you know they love Jesus. They love him as much as you do. Yeah. And but they talk like this about him. They pray like this. They worship like that. They teach or they listen or whatever in ways that are very different to you. And until that happens, you just think, oh, anybody who does that, they're weird. They're off. They're heretical or they're on the verge of heresy or something like that. And there's all the suspicion and awkwardness and everything. So we all just, we like to stay separate. And I wish that, that, that a work of the Spirit would create. I don't just wish. We pray often. We pray for it. Yeah, we And we it's do. happening to and some it, degree. Yeah, it, it really is. is happening. It really is. I, I think mainly through worship and prayer is where it's happening. Yeah. Is it that people are able to look at another person that they go, they really love God. And... They're, they're very different from me, personality, temperament, whatever kind of thing. They're very different the way they express it, but it's genuine. Yeah. That, that's a huge plus. That's a, that's a huge win for the church. So I, I love that you do that. And I know I also trust your sincerity. I know you're not going in there and like going overboard to try to like, well, if I'm like super crazy, then maybe I can bring them up to like moderately, <laughs> you know, expressive. Well, I mean, I'll admit like some days, you know, it would become just about kind of emotion to, to be seen. So, and, and I had to, the Lord would call me out on that. Like, Hey, right, yeah. <laughs> now you're just like back off a bit, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and get right. right with me about your approach. Cause yeah. you don't need to be doing it for that reason. So, yeah. um, so if you're engaging with the Lord, he's going to keep you from doing it for the wrong reasons mm -hmm. and just, just be willing to step outside the box and stand out in a way that you think can help and bless people in your church. Right. You know, like be the first one in a conversation to say, Hey, let's pray about this right now. Mm-hmm. 
You know, it's great. We've talked to each other. Now let's pray over it and right. just put your hand on them and pray over them, you know, right. um, be the first person to like do that thing that's new for somebody or different. Yeah. Um, that can bless them and it might stretch them a little bit, but it's going to really bless them right. long-term. Right. And you know, if you're, <coughs> excuse me, if you're, if you're in a context where it's like, uh, very uncomfortable with expression and things like that, uh, and, and it's just like, stick to the scriptures, you know, just calm down, stick to the scriptures, uh, which I, I do want to stick to the scriptures, you know, but the scriptures are filled with, as you showed, you know, you read some scriptures that are like, whoa, okay, you know, uh, very, very emotional, very affectionate, very desirous, you know, these kinds of things. So read those Psalms, you know, when you yeah. come together to worship or in your small group or, or you're in a prayer meeting or something, read that and then pray like that with sincerity, of course. I mean, all of this, we understand we're not saying trying to manipulate anybody to create a certain environment. Yeah. But if that's what's in your heart, then just find those scriptures, you know, like a Psalm 63, my soul is so thirsty for you, God, mm. you know, yeah, I'm clinging to you. Read those Psalms and then pray like that from the heart. And then that, that can, that sincerity and that desire uh, which is from the spirit really can kind of, it can, it can spread in a really real legitimate kind of way that the, the spirit is awakened in people. I don't mean the Holy spirit, but a person's spirit is awakened in people so that they go, God is beautiful. I do desire him. You know, the language that maybe they wouldn't have used, they start identifying with it because they see it in the scriptures and then they see this person they know just pouring out their heart and it's real. They know it's real. Yeah. That's great. I love it. So safe to say in conclusion, we are in love with Jesus. Yes. Yes. <laughs> awesome. He's so lovable. <laughs> He's, He's so beautiful. <laughs> As a reminder, the Prayer Culture Podcast is a ministry of two or more, which is a crowdfunded ministry. So if you enjoy this content, please check out our website and giving page listed in the description. Also, when you have a second, hit the like and subscribe button. 